What's up everyone? This is Mary Clay and before we get started on today's episode, I just have two quick notes. The first is that next week we will be covering chapters 5 and 6 together in one episode. So if you're reading along with me, go ahead and read chapters 5 and 6 together because 5 is kind of a short chapter and I didn't want to have a super short episode that wouldn't really be a lot of fun. So go ahead and read both of those for next week. The second is that you might notice the audio for this episode isn't that great, and that's on me. In case you can't tell, I'm not exactly a professional podcaster yet, so I'm still learning a lot of things. And please bear with me as I'm learning them. And honestly, you won't even notice it after a bit because this is such a great episode with my good friend Amy, and just keep listening if you want to hear us rant about maps and Home Alone 2 and batteries. Okay, now on to the show. Hello, welcome to episode four, all about a shortcut to mushrooms of the Fellowship of the Ring, being the fourth part of That's What I'm Talking About. Hello, I'm Mary Clay, and today I am joined by my old friend from CNU, from college, Her name is Amy Coyle, and she was one of the first people, I think actually the first person to message me to show interest in in wanting to guest on this podcast. So welcome, Amy. I did not know I was the first person. Hello. Hello, Uh, yes. Hi, guys. (laughs) It's a good time. Yeah, Amy messaged me like, I, I think it was like sometime in May, and I don't think... I don't even remember like when this was when I like officially started preparing for this podcast. You messaged me like pretty right off pretty soon into the initial planning process. And I was like, all right, this girl's hype about Lord of the Rings. I got to get her on. Yeah, it was funny because you started talking about it almost immediately after I had gone over to our dear old friend Gamby's house and seeing the first movie, Extended Edition. Oh, gosh. And had a super geeky talk with all of the now-just-graduated CNU seniors about Lord of the Rings. And they were like, have you ever read it? And I'm like, I've never read it. So I had to, like, finish Fellowship, like, immediately so I didn't sound like a total idiot trying to discuss fan theories with them. And here we are. Yay! Uh, I'm asking my guests how they got into Lord of the Rings. So you already answered that question. So I'll, I'll ask you with a follow-up question. Um, so how much of the world do you already know about? So my dad showed us all of the quote-unquote classic movies when we were kids and Lord of the Rings, we saw all of them. I grew up, my dad read me The Hobbit, and then I had to read it again for college, which means I didn't read it. I spark noted it and tried to remember what I remember. <laughs> um, I am somewhat familiar. I'm on the nerdy stuff type things enough on the internet to kind of know what's going on, to kind of know the history, and to kind of know the nuances of little lines and stuff. So when I get to parts in the book, I'm like, ah, yes, this bit. Ah, yes, this shows this fan theory people were talking about. Um, and I took, obviously, well, I have a degree in English, so I had to take a lot of classes on literature. And I got some really cool conversations about Tolkien and his history and all these weird nuggets of really entertaining trivia about him. Yeah, I'm looking forward to becoming a full fan once I actually finish all of this stuff. But for now, I am here. Yeah. Well, that's exciting because now you're also like, you're like a couple steps ahead of me in that you've finished the first book at least. And it's fun that like, because my last couple guests have been like very experienced, lifelong, like super knowledgeable (laughs) Lord of the Rings fans. And like I've said stuff and they're like, oh, well, you'll find more about that in like, you know, chapter seven of book three. So it's fun that like, we're both a little bit clueless about some of the stuff, but me, mostly me, because I've, um, for your for your context, Amy, I've only seen the first movie and I've only seen it once, and it was, and I don't remember much about it at all. And then I've read four chapters, and that's it. It's 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 gonna be fun. Like I'm not sure how much, just because it's been a while since they've been around for a while, so I'm not sure how much you've gotten spoiled on already. I yeah. know some things, but you know. There's always more yeah. to get to. It's funny you mention that because I, um, <laughs> I've i already spoiled myself on a lot of stuff just ha. from <laughs> scrolling through. Um, so I'm trying to like 
follow relevant accounts on the Tolkien About uh, Instagram. And so I do that by going through the Discover and scrolling through. And I've already learned that apparently Gandalf dies and apparently he comes back to life. So that's fun. And then I've also learned that at some point... Frodo apparently becomes under the influence of the ring or whatever. So <laughs> there is there are, there are some random nuggets that I now know just because I can't stop myself. You from, like, you haven't <laughs> gotten spoiled on most of it, so there's just still a good part. You know, it's it's the Lord of the yes. Rings, right? There's a yes. lot of detail that you're not going to get spoiled on. That people aren't going to going to think of it to talk about the detail in these books. Is insane. Oh, it that is reminds me. I have to crazy. I have to read this meme. Listeners, our dear friend Christina from episode two. If you were a good listener and you followed Brandy Lane Publishers like Christina and I told you to do at the end of episode two, you will have seen this meme that they posted on their Facebook. It says Tolkien. It's absolutely vital to your understanding of the story that I tell you the complete linguistic history of all dialects of this language, as well as every possible geographic and genealogical detail so that you can provide meticulous and accurate maps and family trees just from the text. Readers, what does the main character of the book look like? What do any of the characters look like? What's the visible difference between elves and men? What power specifically would the ring grant Sauron? And what exactly does he plan to do with said power should he retrieve it? Tolkien. IDK man, use context clues. LMAO. (laughs) Oh, you're not wrong. Yeah. Because, like, the casting of the movies is so well done, but you're kind of like, they were just kind of throwing arrows in terms of... (laughs) They got the personalities down perfectly for the actors, but they're like, I don't know, Sam's a redhead. Let's go with this. Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny you say that because the only things I know about how the characters look is that um, Sam has red hair and Gandalf is like an old gray man. And that's that's all I know about how they look. Yeah. When I was little, I consistently mis- mistook all the four hobbits for each other in the movies. And it was the most confusing ride of my life. Being like, <laughs> why is he here now? I thought he was like, on the other side of the country. What's going on? <laughs> um, let's jump right in to chapter four, A Shortcut to Mushrooms. And um, it's also a short chapter, which I didn't know there were short chapters in this book because the first like two chapters are like 30, 40 pages each. Mm -hmm. And I was very surprised. But anyway, so it kicks. So yes, so previously on Fellowship of the Ring, they've left Hobbiton on their way to begin step one of destroying the ring and or wherever because we don't know because Gandalf said nothing about what to do. Oh my gosh. Okay. I was about to be mad about that and I'm glad you are so zoned in on the Uh, fact that Gandalf has said nothing. I I already have a huge love-hate relationship with him because he says such like wise and beautiful things about like, no, it wasn't weakness that... um, uh, Bilbo didn't kill, shoot, what's his name? Smeagol. Smeagol. Gollum. Yeah, Gollum Smeagol. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't weakness that he let him live. It was strength. And who are you to decide who lives, who dies, who tells your story? And and then at the same time, he gives very little instruction. Um, and you see that in um, chapter three and in chapter four too with the Black Riders. And there's this very malicious force that has been stalking Frodo and gang through the forest or the fields or wherever they are because I have no idea where they are. First off, let's, let's, let's freeze for a second. In my version, I don't know what version of the book... Um, or like what edition you read, Amy, but my version has a map and it's not a good map because I have no idea where Yeah, they I are. get the sense there's a fairy and that's kind of about it for chapter four. I'm like, there are some woods that we've established. There is a farm. We have established the farm. We have established the fairy. And we've established that they went the wrong way at one point, And that was about as far as I got in terms of looking. I just, I'm trying to see if I can, let me flip. And here's some page flipping ASMR. Beautiful stuff. 
Oh, you can, let's see. The ferry is east from Wood Hall, but the hard rock curves away to the left. You can see the bend of it away north over there. It goes round the north end of the marish so as to strike the causeway from the bridge above stock. But that is a mile out of the way. We could save a quarter of the, um, I don't know where you are. <laughs> it means nothing to me. Yeah, I, I, I get the sense that like the road that Frodo wants to take, quote unquote road, is like a C, Right. But the road that Pippin wants to take is mm-hmm. like a lowercase l. So Pippin's like, why can't we just take the road? Because yeah. like, everyone's expecting it. <laughs> you have to do the opposite of what they expect because then, then what if they're expecting to do what we expect they to do? And then they'll catch us. But what if we do the unexpected? But are they expecting us to do the unexpected? Like it goes into a That is verbatim <laughs> from the text. That is just them like arguing over whether people will expect them to take the road or not. Which is just the level of detail and ridiculous dialogue that you love Tolkien for. So speaking of ridiculous dialogue, it starts <laughs> off with like one of my favorite lines. And I'm beginning to understand why P- why Pippin why Pippin is a fan favorite. So they start off and Frodo wakes up and um oh so <laughs> So he wakes up and the elves have left them some bread and Pippin says, yeah, the elves left us bread. It's still as good as it was last night. I didn't want to leave you any, but Sam insisted. <laughs> and then later on, uh, and then uh, Pippin is asking Frodo all these questions about the Black Riders and what he talked about with Gildor and all this stuff. And then Frodo's finally like, shut up and let me eat. I just want to sit in silence and just think for a little bit. And then Pippin says, good heavens. At breakfast? The four hobbits to me are like the ultimate family vacation in like a comedy flick, right? So you've got Sam, who's the mom friend, who's like, Pippin, no, you can't eat all the bread. Frodo hasn't eaten yet, right? You've got Mary, who was clearly the dad, because he's the only one who actually knows where he's going, what's going on. He keeps the family morale I was going to say... Maybe that's why I have no idea where they are, because Mary's not really in this chapter yet, so... He's the only one who seems to know where they are at any given time. And um, you've got Pippin, who is definitely like the younger sibling, little brother, who's just like, optimism, the apocalypse definitely isn't happening, cheerful spirits, food. And then Frodo's like the kind of woke teenager who sort of like goes on Reddit news or something, so he sort of knows it's going on, but he does not know as much as he thinks he does. Nice. Yeah, I'd love to see that movie. And also, like, Pippin is kind of off to the side. Also, Pippin, poor Pippin right now, because he has zero clue about, like, what they're actually doing. And because he doesn't know about the ring or anything, only Sam and Frodo do. And I'm like, please, can you clue Pippin into what's going on? Because he must be so confused. And it's, right? it's, it's like almost not fair at this point because they, they come very close to the like black rider in this chapter. And, and meanwhile, Pippin is just like, wow, it's crazy that they want to like find you, Frodo. What a weird coincidence. I, I think Frodo went to the Gandalf school of not telling people things when they need to know. Yes. Uh, gosh. Well, that was also under Gandalf's guidance that the only person who should know is Sam. Um, which, um, I don't know what your feelings about Sam are, but right now I'm not a fan because he is very annoying and I just need him to like calm down like 20 steps. Yeah, he doesn't get more calm, but he ends up, he's like, I know (laughs) you are not like a Stranger Things person. But I will use this analogy of he is the Joyce Byers of the group. He's like, that might kill us. And everyone's like, no, it won't. He's like, yes, it's going to kill us. And they're like, no, it doesn't. And then it tries to kill them. And they're like, oh, crap. Oh, Samuel, worry, wart, and just rinse and repeat. It's just Sam being like, that could kill us. And everyone just blatantly ignoring. Sam would not get killed first in a horror Sam would survive. That's funny you say that because I imagine him being the very first to go. He's just, you You love him because he does prove his loyalty in the end. And you're like, wow, like they never would have made it this far without this one guy. So Sam's great. Um, I think people sort of underestimate the Hobbits. And so I don't think Gandalf... He was like, oh, yeah, only tell Sam. And I'm like, you know what this place is like. You know the Shire. These hobbits, they talk about everything. It's like, you've dealt with Bilbo. You know how these fools roll. They were always going to get involved. Gandalf, as usual, 
Hot take, I think Dumbledore, Harry Potter, was based on Gandalf. Oh, girlfriend, that's not a hot take at all. That's the cold, hard truth. That's the hardest truth. It's just like wise sayings, no solid communication skills. Yep, that's what I love in my wizards. The listeners right now are going to hate me because I I think that now I'm like four for four and talking about Dumbledore and Gandalf, but I don't care because (laughs) I, I can see myself really coming to have like Gandalf as one of my favorite characters because Dumbledore is one of my favorite characters for better or for worse. And it's because like, I don't know, it just makes things more interesting to read about. And it's just a more interesting story to follow if someone is cryptic or not always giving the right instructions or, you know, maybe gives the wrong instructions about something. It's just a more interesting story. To read. It would be so boring if if Gandalf was like, okay, here's a map. You're going to follow it to this volcano and you're going to throw it in there and then we're done. Like, that wouldn't be fun. I always kind of wondered, though, did Gandalf not tell the hobbits because he didn't think they could handle it? Or because he knew they didn't need all the information. Was he, like, if you told Sam straight up everything that was going to happen to him and all of the risks involved, Sam, Sam would have lost his mind, had a heart attack, dropped down and dead. Because he's scared that if he was like, so the entire fate of the world rests on your shoulders and this little piece of jewelry you have, you have to get it over there or everybody's gonna die. Like... I think that would have overwhelmed them, but I think also either that and Gandalf has a very low opinion of hobbits, or he has a really high opinion and knows that the hobbits don't need to know all the quirky details. They will do what they need to get done, and they will actually fix all the problems, whether or not he gives them all this information. I am one of those people who would like to have known that the fate of the world was on my shoulders <laughs> before I went along with like, like, can I at least be aware of the dangers I'm going into, Gandalf? Like, maybe Pippin just a little bit. Pippin was to stop at bars on the way there. Like, uh, there could have been a little bit more conversation. I love, I love. It's like when, I don't, like, I don't even know what comparison to make. Like, I don't know, you're road tripping and your friends, like, don't realize that, I don't know, you have zero gas left and they're like, let's stop at this ball of twine. And it's like, no, I have to get gas first and then we can visit the ball of twine it's like if you're like a huge family with like a ton of children and you're running towards like the gate to get on your flight and all your kids are like ooh, crepe station and you're like no yeah exactly can't stay yeah. at the crepe station it's, we have to get on the plane they're kevin in home alone <laughs> especially in home alone 2 when they're running for the gate they're trying to make the airplane on time and he's like hey dad i need batteries for my uh smart talkie, whatever they call it. I don't know. Homeboy, I game, walkie talkie recorder. <laughs> and he's it. like, he's like, yeah, when we get on the plane, sure. And Kevin's like, nah, I'm going to stop in the middle of this busy airport and dig through your bag to find batteries, which by the way, okay, first of all, what if there's anything like as a child growing up with like gaming devices and electronics that ran solely on like actual batteries If there's anything I learned, it's that when you're preparing for traveling or a trip, you pack batteries in your own bag. Because if they run out, you're done. There's no more Game Boy for you. And so why didn't Kevin, a child of the 90s, have batteries with him in his backpack that he could have just pulled out on the plane? See, this is why I would have loved to see Kevin in college. Because he is a man who runs purely in the spirit of urgency. He only cares about the details when they are last minute. Someone's about to kill him or something. Kevin would have been an amazing last minute paper writer. A hundred percent. Or as the kids say these days, a hundo P. What? Are you, you're, you're a middle school teacher. Have you not heard the, the, the kids, the youth say a hundo P? By the time I figured out who James Charles was, James Charles was canceled. Oh my god, I still don't know who Billie Eilish is. Oh, uh, I don't know either. Except that she's a minor. <laughs> That's the only context I've heard her in. Wait, what? She's a minor. She's of under 18. And so people are like, let's not talk about her this way. I'm like, I didn't even know we were talking about her. Who am I thinking of? Is there someone named Billie Lord? 
I'm Google searching. That's it. Yes. I'm thinking of Billy Lord. She was on American. I mean, also, I think a lot of other stuff, but I know her from American Horror Story. And then she's also, gosh, poor her because she's Carrie Fisher's daughter. She, I know who you're and talking Debbie about. Reynolds' granddaughter. Yo, she was on. Oh, what is the this, the horror story about the sorority girls? Yeah, American Horror Story. Oh wait, no, 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 that uh, Scream Queens. Scream Queens. She was on Scream Queens. She did so good. Oh, that is not what. Why does Billy Ellish look like? What's her face? Margot Roth Spiegelman from the Paper Towns movie. What's her name? Who I love a lot. Paper Towns. I'm just going down the rabbit hole of pop culture. Cara Delevingne. That's it. I want her eyebrows. See, we we talk about Kevin not paying attention to what needs to like. We are Kevins in this. We're, we all have a little bit of Kevin. Like we could be getting on the plane. But we are searching for batteries, and and much like and much like Kevin searches for batteries, the hobbits search for mushrooms, but not really. They don't look for mushrooms at all. So I don't know why that's I don't know why that's uh, the title of this. So yeah, that's the thing. I understand the titles of the other chapters. This one makes no sense because it it led me to believe, oh, this will be a nice, lighthearted, quick chapter about them like searching for food and they're trying to like cook meals like they're and like there's a link in Breath of the Wild and all they have to do is put an apple and mushrooms into a pot and then it's steamed fish with 20 plus health and armor you know, strength. I'm not sure he, the great Tolkien himself, knew what to name this chapter. He's like, so what are we doing? Taking a shortcut. Where are we getting to? Farmer Maggot's farm. What if Farmer Maggot have? Mushrooms. I think it should have been shortcut to dogs. Yeah, I feel the dogs were misrepresented in this chapter. Yes. I mean, you. there's a dog. I, I'm not going to not have thoughts about the dogs. So Exactly. So um, Sam and Frodo are talking quietly about everything. And Frodo is kind of like, hey, bro, I think I would understand if you don't want to come with me anymore. Like, this is getting a bit intense. And not even I knew that. And I wouldn't have asked you to come if I had known this. Sam is basically like, I no, I'm I'm coming. Why would I not come? I'm 100% coming. And it's not just because of the elves, because I've already met the elves, but it's not just because of adventure and everything. Now I feel a higher calling and suddenly Sam gets like weirdly existential. Okay, so first let me read this. Yes, sir. I don't know how to say it, but after last night, I feel different. I seem to see ahead in a kind of way. I know we are going to take a very long road into darkness, but I know I can't turn back. It isn't to see elves now, nor dragons, nor mountains that I want. I don't rightly know what I want, but I have something to do before the end, and it lies ahead, not in the Shire. I must see it through, sir, if you understand me. Like, what happened when Sam was with the elves? Did they use some kind of elfish magic on him? And he suddenly is like, I don't know, has this like weird all-knowing sense in him, but maybe not all-knowing, maybe like partial knowing, and all he has is this like gut feeling? Or now that he's like fulfilled this kind of like naive childhood dream of meeting elves, and he's like, oh, they're just elves. Cool. Now he like doesn't have these childish dreams anymore because he's done it. And he's like, well, I'm done with that now. I don't know. It just seems like a very sudden shift in our dear friend Samuel. Samwise, that's his what name. What gets me about this is that I think it was the presence of the elves. And you've got a lot of good theories on why he changed. But I have the foresight of having read at least the rest of the fellowship. And the, the elves have do have a really weird effect on people. And like they explore it more later in the book, but the elves actually do kind of affect the hobbits a lot. Yeah, I I kind of get the impression that they are similar to, um, what are they called in Harry Potter? Um, it's Floor Vila. I feel like they're similar to the Vila in Harry Potter where like they have this like magical entrancing effect on other people. I think it also might just be a lifestyle thing. The fact that the elves are so old and they have a completely different religion and like their afterlife is different that it's like, I don't know, you spent a month with like monks in the mountains or something. So that's the only comparison I can think I can make. Sam's kind of had a weird experience with a bunch of people who do not live the way anybody he's ever met lives. So 
Like, you can tell that Sam hasn't really been out of his sphere of influence. Sam hasn't talked to people other than Gandalf. Yeah. Sam probably has gotten no taste of the outside world. So this is a big step for him, and he's just going to keep expanding his mind. Yeah, good point. And he is takes that first step like into experiencing another world with the elves and... Yeah, it gets a taste for life outside. Out, <laughs> life outside the Shire, um, life outside the Shire, and is like, hmm, maybe there's a little bit more to this world than you know our little forest haven place. You can only it, like you can only do so much before you have to like go out into the world and and you know and discover things yourself and experience things for yourself so that you have that firsthand learning experience. Sam is a Sam is a class A dude who did not need any education to be the star- shining star that he is in this trilogy. Yeah, uh, a lot of people say, oh yeah, Sam becomes like the real main character in the in this series. Oh and yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. interested to see what that looks like. Because right now I'm just like, okay, boy, let's mm, let's step it up and, and do something. So See, the conversation, and I kind of want to, I have so many questions about this. The conversation between Sam and Frodo, you sort of like answered a few of my questions about that. Because I was trying to figure out what the heck Frodo was thinking, being like, yeah, I think I can take the rest of this on my own, boys. Thanks. Yeah, well, and I think I think that's why Sam is there, being the true Hufflepuff that he is. Oh, retweet. Which, <laughs> first of all, it, in the introductory like teaser episode that was posted on the Bacon and Eggs podcast channel, Ethan and Tyler roasted me because I said that Bilbo is a Slytherin, which I'm going to stick to that. Bilbo is a Slytherin, and I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I... Let me just read, like, like someone who says, Thirdly and finally, I wish to make an announcement. I regret to announce that though, as I said, 11 to 1 years is far too short a time to spend with you. This is the end. I am going. I am leaving now. Goodbye. Point me to someone who's who makes that dramatic of an exit at their own birthday party and isn't a Slytherin. <laughs> I can definitely see it. And we gotta destroy... I am a Hufflepuff myself, but I know some of the most moral kind just in general like upstanding people i know are slytherins oh i'm a slytherin and you i know you're a slytherin i hope you think i hope you think i'm an upstanding person <laughs> that goes without saying but you know we gotta destroy that stereotype i put a lot more people in the slytherin house than most people think belong in the slytherin house because people say ah slytherin's racist and i'm like <laughs> no they're not <laughs> they're stubborn that is a whole different rant on jk rowling's whole moral like compass and how she created the, the houses but we don't have time for that i love the meme that's like so i don't know gryffindor like pitching to the other teachers like so you know how there are four kinds of students brave smart evil and miscellaneous and then it says like yes go on <laughs> but okay going back to my man's photo so here's my thing, right? Yes. I think that he was upstanding, as you were saying, to kind of let Sam off the hook if he wanted to have that off. But also, how is Frodo going to get this far? Because at this point, we know the book is called Fellowship of the Ring. We know more people are coming to help him out. But he doesn't know that. So as far as he knows, the only people that he really has at any option is Gandalf, Sam, yeah. Pippin, and Mary. He has no real intention yeah. of having Pippin and Mary yeah. come along. He only really seems to think him and Gandalf are going to go and that Frodo's only going to carry it for a certain time. But he seems to kind of know in his heart that he's going to be carrying it the full time all the way there. So like, yeah. what is Frodo's deal here? Because I don't think Frodo can go alone on this, but I'm wondering. He's, yeah, I don't know. I think he's just like, so there's probably a lot of like overwhelming feelings of like, I'm so lost. Gandalf has told me nothing. This like very dark and foreboding person is following us and searching for specifically me. I'm putting this very like young, innocent, you know, Hufflepuff at danger here and he doesn't need to be here. I'm gonna, he's, he's trying to be a Harry Potter and he can't. And, and that's what, and that's what Ron is there for too, to say like, bro, you can't do this alone. You need someone, you need to have people with you. And that's what Sam does is he's like, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to help you. And yeah, it's going to be dangerous, but I feel like there's a much higher purpose to this journey. 
even though we don't know what it is. And I don't know where we're going, but I'm fine as long as we're, like, going together. And go they do. Turn the page. Yeah, so they have a little fight. And Pippin and Frodo argue about which way to go. Like, typical men not pulling out a map or asking for directions. But and then whatever. they just get drunk on the whatever the elves leave for them, which was just the most random oh, yeah, part which, of the yeah, planet. A, just like speaking of getting of like getting drunk, I've I've been told multiple times that like oh yeah, like the hobbits are always like smoking pot, they're always high as shit. Like yeah, they love their pipes. I haven't seen a single reference to a single hobbit smoking a pipe, and this is I'm you know ninety pages in here, almost a hundred pages. But I think that might be more of a Bilbo and the yeah, Hobbit thing. Yeah, but they drink so much. Like when they are leaving oh, Hobbiton, yeah. there's a cut. Like there's a note that like Sam walks over to them and he's like wiping his mouth away, and it said he was saying goodbye to the barrel of ale in his basement. And then here, Pippin says like, "Fine, we can go that way." I was kind of hoping we could stop at the Golden Perch and you know grab a brewski, but fine. And then Frodo's like, "All right." What do you say, Sam? And Sam's like, sure, Frodo, that sounds fine. And then in parentheses, in spite of private misgivings and a deep regret for the best beer in East Farthing. These are just, this is just a crowd of frat boys going on an adventure. And there's like the one sober monitor who's like, we can't get drunk on the, uh, we get, we got to keep going. And everyone else is like, he's Frodo's DDing for everyone. (laughs) Yes. And even Frodo, like, starts singing in the woods. And I'm like, boy, yeah. you know what's going on. Yeah, so that yeah, so that's my next thing is, like, they're constantly... I understand that, like, that the hobbits are happy, happy people, and they sing, and that's fine and dandy. Except for when, like, an evil, loathsome, mysterious creature is following you. I think the easiest way that he would be able to find you is if you are singing. But that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, that kind of shows to me that Frodo is sort of overestimating both Gandalf's power over the situation and his own, like, knowledge. Like, I think Frodo's like, yeah, Bilbo told me about all this adventuring stuff. I know how it's gonna go. And he totally doesn't, but he sort of, like, doesn't understand fully or he hasn't really sunk in how serious the situation is. Because, you know, sitting around and singing, getting drunk in the woods, like, that's the before, like, you realize what's going on. That's, like, before the 1 a.m. soul searching when you realize things are actually going downhill pretty fast. Let's see. Yeah, I wrote, I've started trying to write page numbers next to my notes so that I know what the fork I'm talking about. Nice. Except for, I don't know where I wrote, like, what page this refers to. It could have just been the whole chapter. I don't know. I just wrote, Black Rider getting closer. Big yike. <laughs> that is that is very relatable. A mood. Very relatable. And then I put in all caps, my kingdom for a map, which there is a map, but it's not good. Because, yeah, they make several references to like, oh, they came out of the woods and they were accidentally on the right side of the river instead of the left. And then they had to go up to the east and then back to the north. And then, and I'm like, I don't know where you are. I bet that there is a chapter by chapter like map that shows you except somebody out there has definitely made like a chapter by chapter plot point map showing exactly where you go and where you are in each chapter. I would bet so much money that there's a map like that out there. Also, I'm hesitant slash nervous to Google search anything if I have questions because I'm afraid it'll be like, oh, well, the reason for that is because Gandalf was actually Gollum all along. (laughs) And... Which, God, I hope that doesn't happen, because I will cry. Oh, wow, I have have some bad news for you. (laughs) Oh, hush, you don't know any more than I do. Okay, let's see. I've seen all three movies. I have seen the extended edition of the first one. Oh, that's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, no, I don't want a timeline. I just need the map. I'm like, (laughs) I almost said, why, see, why couldn't Tolkien do this? But he didn't have computers. I know. Okay, so this just says the Shire, Bree, where are we? There's Hobbiton, there's Buckland. What is this? Oh, here we go. Okay, is this, so is this where they found, oh, see, there we go. I just spoiled myself. (laughs) Uh, Oops, let's see, how far in advance? Apparently, uh, in roughly 14 months from now, um, 
Frodo, Sam, Pippin, and Mary get arrested at Frogmorton. So, um, I don't know what that's in reference to or what happens, but, uh, oh, and there we go. Crick Hollow gets raided by three black riders early in the early hours. Oh, geez. Okay. So there we go. Um, that's why I don't Google search anything. Lesson learned. You heard, wasn't that fun listeners to hear me get spoiled live? Luckily, I don't think those are big spoilers. So no, they're definitely not. In theory, that map was very helpful because it looked cool, but it just had these red dots. And when you clicked on the dots, then it would say like what happened at that point. And one of them said like the three hobbits arrive at Farmer Maggot's place and eat dinner. And I'm like, oh, that happened here. Wait, is this where they met up with the elves? Nope, that's where they got arrested apparently a year from now. So they stop for lunch and find that the elves have left them some kind of, it's described as a clear drink, pale golden in color. It has a scent of a honey made of many flowers. Yes. It was wonderfully refreshing. Um, but before I read the, um, it had the scent of honey made of many flowers. It just says a clear drink, pale golden in color. I 100% thought the elves had like peed in their canteens. And I was like, well, that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's an elf prank or if that's just being mean to hobbits, but Okay, then. That wasn't very mature of you, now was it? See, I have opinions that I will save for later in life about the elves. They're not my favorites, but... Ooh, I get that. it's funny you say that, because currently I love them, because I just feel like they are, like, the coolest group of people there ever was and that like everyone wants to be around them and be near them and be with them. So they stop eating for a second and talking and singing because all of a sudden, and this is where the audiobook gets real creepy. They stopped short suddenly. Frodo sprang to his feet. A long drawn wail came down the wind like the cry of some evil and lonely creature. It fell in rows and ended on a high piercing note. Even as they sat and stood, as if suddenly frozen, it was answered by another cry, fainter and further off, but no less chilling to the blood. Then there was a silence, broken only by the sound of the wind in the leaves. Very spoopy. See, I will never forget the screech that they gave them in the film. They did a very good job of adapting this book, but that noise... Maybe... You should make that noise the censor noise. Because <laughs> <laughs> it will make sure people are paying attention. Oh, it'll scare them. It's like um, for anyone who listens to Dear Hank and John, oh my God, it's burning. They had a listener very early on in the podcast say like, I lo- write in and say, like, I love listening to your podcast and I listen while I cook, but sometimes I'm so distracted by your podcast that I burn things. So it would be helpful if every now and then you could just stop and yell, oh my God, it's burning. <gasps> that's amazing. Oh my gosh. that's And they did it for like the first, I think they did it for probably a, a while and then they haven't done it in a while, but um. Yeah, so I'll put that screech in. Anyway, yeah, but the, the screech in the audiobook, too, was... Cr- I'll insert it here. They stopped short suddenly. Frodo sprang to his feet. A long-drawn wail came down the wind. Like the cry of some evil and lonely creature. And it was terrified like I was I don't know like cleaning my room or something and I was like that's disturbing and I mean just imagining that like you're in the woods with like your two pals and then you hear that and then not only do you hear the screech but like you hear the response so then whatever like crazy insane creature is out there there's at least two of them plot twist it's actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf (laughs) (laughs) there he is you see him in the woods (laughs) Shia LaBeouf they pull back their hoods it's just Shia LaBeouf Oh, that's great. A plus reference, Amy. A plus. So suddenly they realize, oh, I think we're on like private ground or something. And Pippin goes, oh, I know this land. It's Farmer Maggot. And Frodo's like, oh, no. Well, that's an issue because I got caught several times as a youth stealing mushrooms from his property. And he said his dogs would eat me. So let's not go there. And Pippin's like, it's fine. I'm good friends with maggot it'll be all good i love that 
Frodo just like escapes a literal like dark figure that makes like this horrifying screeching noise and seems to want him dead and he is on the run trying to get this man across the world. But the thing that really scares him is this little mushroom barber. Yeah, yeah. And it's and like it goes to show like it's kind of like when you I don't know, it's like a very normal childhood, childish thing, like memory to like flash back to to like cringe about or be embarrassed. And it kind of shows like the innocence of what he came from and what he grew up. The worst of his troubles then was being reprimanded by old farmer maggot. And that was what scared him. And then here we are with like insane trouble. And then he kind of flashes back to that moment of childhood fear when you're like, oh, this man's gonna kill me. But he's probably not. (laughs) So they, um, Pippin assures them that it'll be fine. It's chill. He's good pals with old man maggot. You know, the farmer. They approach and just like Frodo said, he sticks his dogs on them basically. And in that moment, I swear I was Pippin because Pippin is like, I imagine Pippin just standing there and these like big ferocious dogs are running at him and he's like crouching down like, come here boy, come here, come here. And then they just go running past him instead and he's like, aww. And then they go and bark at Frodo and Sam. (laughs) So I am Pippin just like not being, not being phased by these dogs like in the slightest and just being like, aww, aren't they cute? Meanwhile, they're trying to like eat Frodo. Eventually, yeah, so Pippin is able to be like, Whoa, maggot, chill. It's me, Pippin, remember? And these are my good mates, Frodo and Sam. And it's all good here. And he's like, Frodo? You mean Frodo Baggins? And Frodo for a second is like, oh, shoot, he probably remembers me from when I stole those mushrooms back when I was, as the hobbits call them, tweens, when they're in their 20s, but they're... Yeah, back when Frodo was in his tweens, as the hobbits call the irresponsible 20s between childhood and coming of age at 33. But then we find out that no, one of the creepy black writers came to visit Old Man Maggot. And um, at this point, I feel like the writers are not even trying because they are being so obvious about like their malintentions and like... Or at least this one, now that I know that apparently at some point there are two more that come into the mix since they raid, what is it, Buckland? I don't know. Thank you, interactive (laughs) map, for that. But yeah, they are like not being secreted about it at all. And they're not trying to even be sneaky. And luckily, like we just happen to be lucky that the people the writers run into are going to protect Frodo, regardless of whether or not like they even know Frodo or remember him. And Maggot is like, no, I told them to go away and that they had no business being here. And then they did some spooky and um, uh, it was spooky for sure. And then he like just left. And that was definitely not good. I love this scene. This is my favorite scene in the chapter. And I glanced over it the first time because this writer just rolls up and he is the embodiment of evil and darkness as we have established previously. And he just rolls up and he's like, where is Baggins? And Farmer Maggot's like, I don't know. But he's not here. Get out of my garden. This is why Gandalf picks hobbits for every intense adventure. Because this little farmer just is kind of like, I don't care who the frick you are. If you're standing on my cabbages, you need to get out. My cabbages! (laughs) My cabbages! This guy is trying to sit his dogs on an embodiment of evil. This man has no fear. This guy yeah. is amazing. Well, he is my hero. And I should add that at, at one, there is a second there that he is a little bit phased. And he, because he mentions that the um, horse goes up like on its hind legs or something and is looking like he's going to attack him. And that's when he turns around to like yell, to like get his dogs to go after him. And then that's when he disappears. I don't know. The writers like so far are not doing a great job of getting Frodo. Like they're being very... <laughs> Oh, it might just be because I watched a bunch of Parks and Rec bloopers, but there's this one blooper of Jean-Ralphio and Mona Lisa, and they're at one of their, what's supposed to be like one of their like fake funerals, watching the funeral goers, and the funeral's in the background, and then Jean-Ralphio and Mona Lisa are going... Don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious. And that's what I'm just, they are 
the the writers are not good at being at being inconspicuous and they are kind of acting with the same energy of like don't be suspicious but they're being as suspicious as they possibly can it also it also talks about how the dog takes a sniff at the writer and and like lets out a yelp as if he had been stung. He put his tail down and bolted off howling. And I, I like had this theory in the previous chapter slash episode that like these writers are blind somehow and they get around by like scent because they talk. He notes all the time about how he seems to be sniffing the air and all this stuff. And it's just this idea that like the dog went to sniff him and it was he probably got this stench of overwhelming evil and like atrocity that would make sense it's it's def- there's definitely a lot of other senses a smell at the very least that they seem to operate by from what i can tell and again they'll explore that more later but i just i just can't get over this little farmer yeah so he ends up being a real g and invites them inside and it's like this is bad come inside let's talk let's eat for a bit and let's all calm down and yeah this is when you kind of i forgot that frodo like used to the whole reason that like they have this plan to go over to wherever they're going i don't know buckland or riverdale i don't know not riverdale rivendale (laughs) let's let's hope they're not going to riverdale my god can you imagine the hobbits in riverdale um anyway um oh yes um yeah i forgot that frodo like came from these parts and that's how maggot like knows him from his youth is is from when he was a little hobbit being mischievous and stuff and then all of a sudden he left uh well i mean like he didn't all of a sudden leave we know that bilbo was like come live with me little orphan child i have tons of money now and an evil ring but we'll get to that later yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting to have this like small note that um, over in this area of of the Shire must have been like, I don't know, I guess like a Pawnee Eagleton situation. Uh, I don't the know. family tree of hobbits is very, it's definitely based on that old like Irish, England, Welsh, Scottish your family is everything. Abide by your name. Yeah, and the, yeah, and we saw that drama. Uh, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, if the Saxville Bagginses lived or live where Frodo used to live and then left to go to Hobbiton, I can understand why maybe, you know, where he left was kind of snooty because the Saxville Bagginses are insane. I love the drama, oh my but goodness. they're insane. You gotta love the Sackville Baggins drama. Oh, it's great. It is like the Desperate Housewives of the show. Oh, that's a show I would watch. <laughs> That'd be so good. Oh, gosh. That's a show I would watch. Yeah, so at this point, I kind of started skimming because it was just a lot of Maggot saying, like, like a lot of doom and gloom coming from Maggot saying, this is a bad idea. You've gotten in a lot of danger. What have you done? None of this would have happened if you hadn't, if you hadn't gone to Hobbiton and gotten mixed up with, which he is right. He does say, like, I suspect all of this is due to the trouble of Mr. Bilbo. And it's like, well, you're not wrong. Oh, boy. It's amazing how much the hobbits pick up and yet don't pick up at the same time. Yeah. Which I think, yeah, for, yeah it says, Frodo said nothing. The shrewd guesses of the farmer were rather disconcerting. So it is kind so Frodo is a little thrown off that, like, Maggot kind of, you know, has this suspicion and very correct guess that a lot of the trouble they've gotten into is due to, you know, some piece of Bilbo's treasure from his adventure. He just doesn't know what piece of that treasure, obviously. You, I kind of admire the fact that Tolkien even writes these characters, the hobbits, to be underestimated, and you start to underestimate them, and then it's little stuff like this where you're like, man just called the entire series. They were a lot more clever yeah. than they and let on, and that's kind of why they are at the center of this. Yeah, um, my guess for, I think it was chapter two, um, Christina talked about how there's this trope in fantasy of putting something very special and, you know, putting the like special chosen one or chosen thing or the adventure or whatever, the quest and hiding it in something very mundane because then it leads to people like not expecting it or underestimating it. And that's exactly what's happened here is that like, I think, so I think if I'm recalling correctly, Sauron had lost the his ring and didn't know where it was. And he's only recently learned that like the hobbits have it or that it's 
in, yeah, that it's in the hands of hobbits or that it's, because, and I think Gandalf makes a note to say, like, yeah, Sauron didn't even take the time to know that hobbits existed because he thought so little of you. But now he knows and he only knows about you because you have this one thing that he cares about and suddenly you are valued. Yeah, and I think, I mean, not to compare the reader with Sauron or anything, but I think we all kind of treat the hobbits like that. And I think it's like what um, you were saying is the idea that you put a special thing in the hands of a, main, of a mundane thing because you get to kind of enjoy and appreciate the mundane thing that much more. Yes, exactly. Um, oh, so <laughs> this made me laugh a lot because I was so I was listening to the audiobook first of this chapter and then I read it through. And Maggot says, now what in the Shire can he want? But the way it was read on the audiobook, it sounded like, now what in the Shire can he want? Like, now, like, <laughs> what in the can he want? So I thought for a hot minute that, like, saying what in the Shire is just the Hobbit's form of cursing. And then I was like, oh, no, no, no. He meant, like, what could he possibly like what could possibly be located in the shire that he wants but now i think i'm gonna start saying what in the shire <laughs> and then maybe every now and then inserting one of those screeches just to <laughs> throw people just to off. make sure you're paying attention keep you on your toes listeners this isn't gonna be a podcast that like you have on in the background when you're trying to fall asleep because just when you think you're about to fall asleep you'll hear is that evil? I don't know. Am I a Slytherin? I think so now. <laughs> it's moments like these where I'm like, yeah, I'm a Slytherin. So let's see. Yeah, Maggot's basically like, yeah, you've gotten yourself into a lot of trouble, but I think at this point you got to keep going. Again, again, the nobility and the amazingness of hobbits. Yeah, man, you screwed it up, but um, got to see it through. Also, this is just like a language thing. First off, I understand that the word queer was a very different word when Tolkien was writing it. And same with the word gay. Gay was used in the sense of like, they're very happy and lighthearted. And queer is used in the sense that like, they're very strange and weird. That being said, I still cringe so hard whenever I hear it, see him like use the word like they always say like, oh, yeah, them fellows down in Hobbitown is queer folks. And I'm like, oh, you can't talk like that, Tolkien. But he doesn't know because he is dead um <laughs> what an eloquent way of putting it <laughs> i know and then in a similar fashion this is a very common trope and i i mean i can't speak too much to this because i'm not a professional english person like such as yourself i mean i speak english but you know what i mean i don't have a degree in english so i don't know how th these tropes that like the color black represents evil and the color white represents good in my mind that seems like it's probably definitely rooted in racism. It, it gets into like some iffy territory because maggot transitions from the phrase from like the words black writer. So like, oh, that black fellow. And I'm like, this is getting weird, Tolkien. This is getting weird. You better tread lightly yeah, here. And you gotta like, at the same time, I hear some people say how light and dark symbolism always gets people saying, oh, that's racist. And I'm like, at the same time, it was also just like a biblical metaphor for literal darkness and literal light. Yeah, it's just like interesting context to just kind of remind you every now and then that like oh this book was written a while ago i do not understand how there are literal people out there who are literary critics who read books without the historical and cultural context that blows my mind like um has anyone ever in high school ever read the crucible fun fact it's about like communism and the red scare in the 50s and it's not actually about the salem witch trials it's about like the commies and the Russians in the 50s. We don't have time to unpack all of that. Wonderful point. Anyway, yes. So um, Maggot's like, all right, I will help you out. It definitely looks like you're in some deep trouble. So I'll help you out and I will take you. Because he, he can definitely see as he's talking about like, oh, yeah, this like this queer fellow came by. He can kind of see that Frodo... I don't know, glimpse of fear shows on them like, oh, yikes, getting to the ferry is going to be a lot harder 
than it is, than we originally thought. How are we ever going to get there? And Maggot sees this and recognizes this. And like, good on Maggot that like, he's not just some crotchety old man. He is able to pick on this fact that they're afraid and um, offers them a helping hand and and says, okay, I will take you in my wagon to the ferry. And that way, at least you're, I don't know, not alone. So I don't know how much faster the wagon is than walking, but I guess it just kind of feels safer. So that's true. And it's not what you're expecting either. If you're a wraith looking for three habits. Um, wait, are the riders the ring wraiths? Yep. <laughs> I did not. Oh, wow. Okay. I need to like go Oops. back. Because for whatever reason, I guess my brain just read riders and instantly like substituted race. Well, no, I think that makes sense if you know, if we find out later on that the riders are ring wraiths and you already know this, it makes sense that your brain would automatically like fill in that information. It's I kind am of like so sorry. How I totally forget dare you. what happens. How dare I'm like, you? What? Get off my podcast now. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Like I said, I already found out that apparently Gandalf dies, which at this point in the freaking book, we have we don't know where Gandalf is. So You barely know anything about Gandalf except that he's bad at communicating at this point. Just constantly throughout this chapter, I'm like, Gandalf gave them nothing. He said nothing other than like, these, this is a dangerous ring. I cannot take it. You have to do it all on yourself, on on your own. Goodbye. And uh, also, I should add, though, at this point, he wasn't planning for Frodo and Sam and them to go off on their own because he said to Frodo, like, oh, I'll come back by your birthday and we'll all go off together. And he didn't show up for his birthday. And so Frodo... It's just kind of like, well, I'm assuming it would be better for me to continue on like everything is normal and that I'm not waiting for my, you know, with my wizard guide to show up. There is a little bit of like, you know, yes, it's frustrating that Gandalf has given them no instructions whatsoever. But at the same time, it's like, well, where is he? And that's concerning. Anyway, you don't have to answer any of those questions because... At this point, I've said too much. No, you have. All you've said is the writers are ring wraiths, which I 100% thought... Hey, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm completely misremembering. Who even knows at this (laughs) point? I'm not even sure what's going Um, on. Mushrooms. I thought that ring wraiths would look like dementors, but I think that that might just be, I don't know. It might just be because they're black cloaked figures that are kind of creepy and foreboding. So there is no original content. I think that's going to be the through line of this podcast is that nothing is original. Everything comes from Tolkien. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's like, like when Tolkien write this, was like this considered original content or... When it came out, where people were like, were people like, oh no, this is based off of like this book from the 1920s that was wildly popular. Okay, so English English literature nerd coming in hot here. So yay, yes, provide me context. I have to go backwards because this is how I learned about it. Do you know the book slash movie Howl's Moving Castle? What? No. So what is it? Is a popular British children's book. Um, I think it is also it is also a Studio Ghibli movie. It is a Studio Ghibli movie. It is a popular children British children's book. And remind me of the author's name because you're googling it right now. Diana Wynne Jones. Diana Wynne Jones. All right. So this woman, I I would love to have grown up in her shoes because when she went to college. Two of her literature professors were J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. What? I know, I know. And you can, there are so many people that were in her class who were students with her who've grown to be famous authors because they learn from the best. Her, so, yeah, I was going to say her Wikipedia just says that she has been cited as being the inspiration for like Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, J.K. Rowling. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the fantasy world is a lot actually smaller than we think it is. So when she was learning from Tolkien and Lewis, the idea was that they were like the two super weird English geek professors and that they were totally brilliant. Like I think it was Tolkien who translated Beowulf for the first time into a, like, modern English. Oh, my So when you see all this geekery about him being able to understand languages and creating whole other sub-languages and this whole different, like, culture around languages, that's because he's an expert linguist. He is so, so talented. But 
him and Lewis were known for their philosophy, their linguist-like yeah. abilities, and their literature abilities. They were, everyone always said, oh, those guys are brilliant. But they're, like, weirdly into fantasy, though. <laughs> like, fantasy wasn't a genre until those two yeah. got together in a pub and hashed out their, like, their stories. Like, most fantasy genres can step back to them because there wasn't, like, unless you're going straight back to medieval, like, knights, like, killing dragons, fantasy wasn't even close to being a respected genre. I'm not even sure what kind of, if it was a genre. Yeah. Before those two got their hands on it. Man. I'd love to do, like, a deep dive into, like, the history of fantasy one day. I'm committing myself to too many projects as it is. So. <laughs> so there it turns out there is original content. Yes. And we're reading it right here, which is very cool. And it also gives me a much deeper, like being a, I mean, granted this, you know, there's a lot of room for this opinion to change. Like I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying this book and I think I'm going to enjoy this series and this world and the characters and stuff, but I don't think I'm going to be nearly as obsessed with it as I was with at like the peak of my like Potter obsession. I don't think I'm going to be nearly as like into Lord of the Rings. I don't know why, but like it uh, makes me appreciate Harry Potter even more to like read, you know, original like source inspiration that like laid the founding, you know, the foundation for what Harry Potter became. So along the road, they, and this is where the audiobook got all dramatic again. And I like stopped and it got all really tense. And they, they hear the hooves of someone approaching and they can't really see because it's pitch black. And Maggie is like, halt, who goes there? State your purpose. Do not come any farther. And then it's just Mary. And he's like, oi, mates, what's going on? Eh? <laughs> and, and they're like, it, it reminds me of an um, hash slinging slasher episode of SpongeBob when they find out that the person who's been flickering the lights all along is, no- and they go, nose for rat too. And, and that's what it reminds me of. It, it was like, Mary, what are you doing there? <laughs> Which, uh, uh, side note, for a hot second, I thought that the writer had actually been Mary all along. <laughs> I was like, why was he being so sketchy about it? Like, why didn't he just, like, call, like, why didn't he just say, like, hey, guys, it's me? And, I'll, and then I was like, ooh, is he actually, oh, so, so this is where, <clears throat> I'm going to make a wild speculation that this actually isn't Mary, that this is some kind of, of dark mirage to, to trick them into trusting the writer. And they, because it says, as he came out of the mist and their fear subsided, he seemed suddenly to diminish to ordinary hobbit size. And I don't know if that, that, that very likely, most likely, I'm probably sure is just a comment on like, as soon as they, like, they weren't afraid and they knew it was Mary, their imaginations stopped running wild. And they're like, no, this is actually Mary. It's Mary. This is the normal hobbit size Mary. But just this comment that he's, he seemed to suddenly diminish to hobbit size gives me this impression that, like, as they approached him, the writer, like, shifted into hobbit form just before they got close enough. So I'm sure that's wrong, but it's my wild speculation that Mary is actually a writer for the foreseeable future and then something's gonna happen and it's gonna be like ooh plot twist it's actually a ring wraith apparently and and then and then he's gonna trick them and then they're gonna be like where's mary and i don't know where mary is but tune in next episode where mary clay finds out that Gollum is gandalf and mary is a writer (laughs) and the writers are shia labeouf and everything's just (laughs) that would be the biggest plot twist of them all that would be a colossal plot twist that would be the prophesying of shia labeouf they're all shia labeouf so anyway maggot decides that it's safe to leave them with mary and and they're all just happy to be together but hmm we'll see about that next week on that's what i'm talking about no i'm just kidding that would be really dramatic if i ended the episode that suddenly okay if you would like to submit a question you can dm me on twitter or instagram at talking about pod this question is from it won't let me click on your profile it's from jass underscore peregrina and she or he because i can't read your i can't see your profile picture says what would you like to be slash where would you like to live hobbit or shire 
elf, forest, wizard, etc. Oh, I would totally live in the Shire just because my dad has to deal now that he's retired with our local HOA. You know that the Hobbits have some form of homeowners association in the Shire. You know it. I would love to sit down on those meetings because they are catty here, right? Where I am staying with my parents <laughs> currently. I cannot wait to imagine what it would be like with Sackville Bagginses. I would love to just start beef with a Sackville Bagginses and just be like, <laughs> well, you hear Lobelia said that my silver. Um, Yeah, well, currently of the two lands slash two peoples that I have met, I think right now I would pick the elves because they just seem like like in high school, they were the cool kids and I was never the cool kid. So that might be nice for a bit. Thank you for that question. Person that won't let me go to their profile. Oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait. Jasmine! Thank you very much for that question. Cool. So we are at the end of our pod. Amy, what would you like to plug? Is there any social media handles you want to plug if people, if you want people to follow you on social media? I'm just going to tell everyone right now, do not follow me on Twitter. I am tired of people talking to me about my Twitter do not do it. I won't tell you what it is because I am so tired of people talking to me about Twitter. <laughs> All right. Thank <laughs> thank you so much for joining me, Amy. That's what I'm talking about is a production of Bacon and Eggs. You can learn more about Bacon and Eggs at baconandeggs.media. You can follow me on the twits at mcwatt416. You can follow me on the igs. Is that what people call Instagram now? The igs? at MC turned down for what you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Tolkien about pod. And you can also use the hashtag Twitter pod. That's hashtag T W I T A pod. The cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. Go support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. I'm sorry, Vaishan. I don't know your other social media handles, but Instagram is where he posts pretty much all the good stuff. So go follow him. Do you have anything else you'd like to share or add with our listeners, Amy? If you're going somewhere important, bring batteries. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.